This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. My buddies and I saw this enormous throng of people lined up to go pay their respects to the archbishop. We ran back to the campus. We got a sketchboard and we got tracts. And then we put the sketchboard on the corner adjacent to the cathedral. Talk about chutzpah. And we proceeded to preach the gospel to all of these Catholic people who are mourning I tell that story as if to say, we need to be bold, but wise and sensitive and winsome and gracious. Welcome to The Calling. I'm not Richard Clark, but you are Morgan Lee. It's true, and I'm back. I actually listened to the intro of the podcast last week, and it was kind of fun to hear you and Richard go back and forth. It was. It was fun to do that. I am Ted Olson, and I am Director of Editorial Development here at Christianity Today. Uh, Richard is on vacation, unless you're thinking about robbing him, in which case he is at home in a heavily armed uh, home, uh, and all those beach photos on Instagram are uh, just things he took months ago. He's probably pretty good, too, at defending himself. I would think. First-person shooter games. You could tell from from the podcast that he's, you know, tough guy who would confront any intruder. Yeah. But enough of that. He uh he actually did record this interview for the calling. He talked to Chris Castaldo. Do you know Chris Castaldo? He is he's a local guy. Uh he uh he's lead pastor of New Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois. I was actually trying to think of how I would describe Naperville to people who've never heard of it here. It's it's big. It's a very large city that has some of the West Suburbs' most affluent houses and some of its least affluent houses. It also has a river that goes through it, and it looks like they've put in a river walk recently. They have. Well, yes-ish. I don't know. I don't know my Naperville history that well. Well, that is not what the interview for The Calling this week is actually about. Chris actually used to be at Wheaton College. Um, He was director of something called the Ministry of Gospel Renewal, which was like a ministry for evangelicals who wanted to have constructive conversations and relationships with Catholics, Catholic friends, loved ones, former Catholics. Chris himself is a former Catholic, which I'm sure he talks about in this podcast because he talks about it in a lot of things. It has been a theme of his ministry. He wrote books like Holy Ground, Walking with Jesus as a Former Catholic, uh, talking with Catholics about the gospel, some books and articles on that theme, including articles in Christianity Today, which segue into we need ad music. We need like sponsorship music. Do we or do we just need to be more seamless about this and build buildings? My segue was just going to be to say that at CT, we've actually done some wrestling with the evangelical Catholic relationship over the years. Pope Uh, Francis was on our cover. He was. Two years ago. And the author of that story, R.R. Reno. Rusty Reno from First Things. Yeah. R. Reno. Yes. Yeah. R.R. Rusty. Uh, First Things has a lovely history of editors who have interesting nicknames. Well, regardless, a Catholic authored one of our cover stories. And and when I say one of our cover stories, I mean at least one. Are you familiar with? Oh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, it goes back to an interesting, you know, back in when Kennedy was running for president, had some very interesting articles about what that would mean. But Chris has written several articles in more recent history. 
about how do evangelicals relate to, to Catholics in this day and age where we're more on the same side than we used to be, uh, how Catholics have moved. Or everyone else has moved further away yeah, from us. exactly. So if people want to read some of our musings about Catholics or Catholics' musings about us. That's right, because a lot of Chris's stuff is now behind the paywall. And actually, I said we need ad music, but this is not an ad because we do not have ads on the calling. Uh, the only way we are paying for the calling is through subscriptions to Christianity Today, which you should go get. You should get one for yourself. You can get 10 issues. You get also our back issues online. You get uh, our online articles online. Most of those are locked down. Tablet issues, PDF issues. And actually, because it's the calling, it's special. And we're trying to show that podcasts are awesome. We're giving podcast listeners a special $10 price for these things at christianitytoday.com slash the calling. You have to use both the and calling. Uh, that lets us do the podcast. That lets us do Christianity Today. It lets us do everything that we do here. And it lets people like Rich go on vacation every once in a while as well. By the way, I just want to say I don't want to make it an entire segment without mentioning Mother Teresa. Oh, we're going to talk about Catholics. Right? She's a new saint. She's not. Is she still Mother Teresa or is she... Saint Teresa, do you lose the mother? Because otherwise... Four years of Catholic school and I can't tell you. Oh, man. I, well, all right. What good timing to talk to someone like Chris. I'm eager to hear what he has to say. Likewise. How long have you lived in Naperville? One year. One year. Yeah. And you came from where? Carol Stream. Carol Stream. Just north of Wheaton. Which do you prefer? You have to say Naperville, don't you? I think I do. Yeah. Because I have a basement. And with five children, it's very important to have a basement. That helps. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I love a basement. Yeah. I kind of live in a basement. Our apartment is in a, it's a condominium, I guess. So it's just like the bottom floor, but it's underground, mm -hmm. which it has a cooling effect on our bedrooms because they're like against the ground. Oh, nice. It's, you have windows? It's nice in the summer. It's not nice in the winter. I'll bet. It's a bummer in the winter. What about sunshine? In the winter, we keep uh, blackout curtains up because it keeps the cold air out. Oh, yeah? So that's depressing. Yeah. Winter, this was my first winter in uh, this area because right. I came from the south, and it was, like, terrible. Mm. It's so hard. It sounds a little vampire-like. <laughs> yeah. We spent most of the time indoors uh -huh. wishing we could go outside. But we knew that we would evaporate into ash if we did that. You could visit us whenever you want. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> in your basement. Just hang out in your basement, basement all the time. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, um, if you're listening, you're where you probably know already that we're talking to Chris Castaldo. You're a pastor in Naperville. That's right. And you are an author. You've written a number of books. Well, you've written books about two subjects, um, primarily it seems like, and they are definitely tied together. It's uh, you've written books about the Reformation. You've written, written books about Catholicism mm -hmm. and, and the sort of Protestant Catholicism relationships between those two things. Yep. We always start the, ep the episode of these podcasts with one question. How would you define or describe your calling? I understand myself to be called as a pastor to shepherd God's people, to equip the saints. So I think of Paul's words in Galatians 4, where he says, uh, my little children, for whom I am in the pain of the anguish of childbirth, uh, that Christ would be formed in you. Uh, I, I look to that. As I mentioned, I have five children, 
I've been in the delivery room with every one of them. And as a result, I have a policy to never use the metaphor of labor and delivery of myself or another man uh -huh. because that's just ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. But Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, chose this image. Yeah. Why? I think because this work is so crucial of serving the church in order to see the image of Christ shine through God's people. So talk a little bit about the time, the, the, the way in which you became aware of that calling. Yeah. So I came out of a Catholic background, born in Long Island, New York, uh, Italian family. I had a great experience growing up Catholic, but I would say of myself that I did not know Christ. I did not have a living faith. So into my teen years, I started to get into the New Age movement. I practiced transcendental meditation under the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. I uh, worked in Manhattan into my uh, late teens, early 20s, and would uh, attend seminars where I heard famous gurus on different uh, religions. And uh, I worked in Greenwich Village as a telephone installer. And that was an education in itself because yeah. everyone has a telephone. So I'm in the projects, getting a look at what it is like to be in poverty. And then I'm among celebrities putting in their phones. Grace Jones, Leslie Nielsen, Gregory Hines. They live wow. in the village. Very interesting. You know. Phone got to the stars. I was. I really was. <laughs> and yet I was searching. I wish that at that point I possessed the faith with that I could have shared, but I didn't. And so I searched with a restless heart. I walked on three yards of red hot coals with my bare feet at a Tony Robbins seminar. All intended to find the purpose in life, but it fell short. And then it was afterward, my dad had a severe heart attack, and uh, I was forced to run the family business in over my head, great deal of anxiety. And one of our employees was uh, an evangelical Protestant. Uh -huh. uh, aren't too many of those on Long Island. Uh -huh. So she shared her faith, and it was through her ministry that God brought me and, and my family to faith in Christ. And it was very early on when I realized that uh, God was calling me to serve in ministry, to preach, yeah, to pastor. You said you grew up in a Catholic household. What was it that caused you to want to sort of explore other options? You know, I felt guilty as a Catholic. Okay. Yeah. Not unlike Martin Luther, trying to find a gracious God who accepted me. I was keenly aware of my sin and the ways in which I was displeasing God. And from an early age, early teens, I would get out of my bed at night before I would go to sleep and say the Lord's Prayer on my knees mm -hmm. every night in order to please God and was uh, distressed because I, I didn't think I could do enough. So when I finally reached that place, when I heard the good news and I understood that it wasn't a result of my doing ultimately, uh, but Christ's finished work, then the lights came on. And uh, it was very obvious to me that I had found the way, the truth, and the life. So this was a distinct message that you heard that turned the lights on in that way. Yeah. So this, okay, this uh, friend, this employee of the family, she invited my mother and me to church one night, Wednesday night. Very Pentecostal church. First time in a Protestant church. You, know, you have to realize Long Island, there's three types of people religiously. Mm -hmm. Catholics. Jews, and this category labeled 
other, which is like a religious drip pan into which everyone else goes. Right. So I didn't know what a Protestant was, but I, I'm there. The place is packed. What year was this? This, I was 23. Okay. So this would have been in the early 90s. Okay. We're singing, long time of singing. I mean, I feel out of place. This is, you know, I'm like a pork chop in a, in a synagogue at this point, <laughs> not knowing what to do. Uh-huh. And then finally, the preacher gets up. And he is a combination of a young Billy Graham and an Al Pacino. Pinky ring, waving, double-breasted, olive green suit. And he looks out upon the congregation and says, Some of you are here searching for life's purpose. Look no further, because Jesus died for you. Jesus was crucified for your sins. He was raised from the dead, and he lives now. And he is saying to you, Come, to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And it was as though God was speaking directly to me. So in good Protestant fashion, I got up at the end and went forward, prayed to receive Christ, and that was the turning point. Yeah. How did your family respond? Well, it's remarkable. So mom had a conversion experience within a week. Wow. And then... Where where did she have that She had it next to the television praying with Pat Robertson. Oh my gosh. She just happened to be flipping the channels, yeah. saw this. He was leading in prayer. She prayed. Do you think you had anything to do with that? Was she yeah, sort of reeling I, from... I think the God, the spirit was working through in our family. So there was an awareness. And then it was within a year that my dad, who wound up getting better after the heart attack, uh, came to faith. And then my sister shortly thereafter. The tra- What was it about the transcendental meditation? You were trying to find rest in that? Trying to find rest. Yeah. Yeah. I just had this existential nervousness and this fear. I didn't know what to do with it. And that didn't work, though. That didn't work. Can you describe, like, concretely what you tried to do? Yeah. Well, the the whole idea is you get away twice a day for 20 minutes and you repeat a mantra, right? So you go through this ceremony, you figure out what your mantra is, and then that's your routine. And for me, I am so ADD that my mind would... I couldn't concentrate on the mantra properly. So... Uh, it didn't work very well for me, but it, it let the side down for me in this pursuit of meaning and purpose. That was the bottom line. And you started attending that church that you were Yeah, so I went at? to this church, I won't name it, but it was a very Pentecostal, hyper-faith kind of church and uh, went there for a bit. Then a friend through business said, hey, you know, I've, I know this other church close by. Maybe you want to try that out. He was very winsome about it and got me to that place, which was a little more Bible-centered. And that's where I stayed yeah. until I went off to Bible college from there. How long had you been a Christian until you started to realize you were called to the pastorate? Yeah. So it was within one year okay. of that conversion experience before I went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. And you went because you were called? Went because I was called. What was the signal that you, you received that... Well, you to feel like you I were was working in the Catholic Church at yeah. the time. So dad got better, returned to the family business. Uh, I'm a young man. I'm living at home. I'm working with my parents a little too much time with mom and dad. So I started working for one of his clients, raising money in the Catholic Church. Okay. Yeah. So I'm in West Palm raising $25 million for the diocese, spending time with priests. You know, if, if you're a, a, a single guy interested in theology... Priests are great friends to have because you could drink. We would drink coffee, we'd go play golf, and I would sometimes debate them in theology, but I didn't know what I was talking about. Right. And these guys, they handed me my doctrinal head, uh-huh. you know, nicely, of course. So that revealed the fact that You're I. You're kind of need- schooled up front. 
I was schooled. Yeah. yeah, my my ignorance was obvious. And that's when I realized that I need to pursue theological education. So right off the bat, you've kind of got this heart for interacting with with Catholics on this level. Yeah. So you go to Moody Bible College. Did you have any period at that point or even in the future where you th- you sort of started rethinking whether or not you were called to the ministry? No. I can say I've never questioned whether God had called me to ministry. I've questioned God. I've questioned God's power. Okay. You know, every every Sunday before I preach, what we do is we read the scripture and then we sing the Gloria Patri. And it's usually usually in that moment when I doubt God because after the Gloria Patri is when I open my mouth to preach. Not everyone knows. Describe what the Gloria oh, sorry. Patri is. Yeah, glory be to the Father and to the Son. And we, we sing that as a response to the scripture reading. And as we're doing so, I'm thinking to myself, this is the craziest thing in the world, what I'm about to do. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to speak on behalf of God in order to engage the souls of men and women and bring about transformation. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yes. So... Yeah. Uh, I feel very altogether inadequate and weak, and that's when I doubt God. But God is faithful, and despite us, He works. Do you do you you don't have those moments in in preparation for preaching, like in the during the week? Depends what I'm preaching. No, no, yeah, I do, I do. There's some texts that that knock you off your feet. Right. What uh, What do you do when you're doubting yourself in in sermon prep? How do you deal with that? Well, that's when we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We say, uh, "I'm desperate." And left to myself, I can do nothing of eternal value and call out to God. And it is through our weakness that we find his strength made perfect, which for me is the centerpiece of Christian ministry. It's that place, the the so-called upsilon vector, where you descend into apparent defeat before you are raised in victory in the resurrection. And, And that's something we experience not only in our conversion, but I think that is the ongoing shape of our our Christian experience. Can you give me sort of the gist of what you would say the common thread is? I know I've kind of like shorthanded it as like interaction with with, with Catholicism, yeah. but what would you say sort of the the gist of what your writing is about? I describe it in terms of grace and truth. So we read in John one fourteen, Jesus came full of those virtues, grace and truth. And uh, so often when we sit down with Catholic family and friends to discuss faith, we fall off one side of the horse or the other. We're either foaming at the mouth pit bulls, going for the jugular, or we're so open-minded that our brains fall out. And I think our opportunity, our calling, is to be people of theological integrity who articulate clearly and cogently what the Bible teaches, and at the same time, just as we take the Bible seriously, to take people seriously, see the image of God in them, and relate to them with the utmost respect. Do you think of the Catholic Church as a, like a mission field, or do you think of it more as like a mix of people who are just kind of cultural Christians and Christians who are maybe misled about things, or, or yeah. how do you think of that? Well, this this question always arises when I speak about talking with Catholics about the gospel. Right. Are you saying, Chris, yeah. that Catholics are categorically outside of Christ right. by suggesting we must talk with them mm-hmm. about? And my answer is this. Talking about the gospel does not presume what's happening in the heart of the person with whom you're speaking. When we get together with our evangelical Protestant brothers and sisters each Sunday, we need to proclaim the gospel to one another, right? 
And in fact, whenever you and I raise our heads from our pillows each morning, we must preach the gospel to ourselves. So to say that we are going to talk about the gospel to someone is not a commentary on the, the nature of that person's faith as much as it is a statement about who we are yeah. as people of the gospel. And so if I'm speaking with a Catholic who is perhaps a nominal believer, name only, a cultural Catholic, then I am doing what we might call evangelism. But if I am speaking with a Catholic friend who possesses a living faith, then it is something closer to what we might call discipleship. But in either case, I am called to help that person move closer to Jesus. That's interesting because I think it's tricky to do discipleship with people outside of your church, Mm -hmm. right? Like when you have a conversation with, I mean, I work with a lot of Christians. I I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I have friendships with them and that's a kind of discipleship, right? So I guess that's probably the way you would approach it. Yeah, there, there's a level at which, you know, the things we say to one another are done for the purpose of building one another up. Asking questions that open up illuminating moments, we can at least do that much. Your book, uh, Talking with Catholics About the Gospel, refers to constructive interaction. Um, what do you think is an example of like a destructive interaction between Catholics and Protestants? Okay, so... The first chapter of that book, I have uh, an extended story that I tell of my own preaching when I was at Moody Bible Institute. The cardinal, archbishop of um, Chicago, Joseph Berndine, had died, and my, my buddies and I happened to be walking by Holy Name Cathedral, and we saw this enormous throng of people lined up to go pay their respects to the archbishop. And um, we ran back to the campus. We got paints, we got a sketchboard, and we got tracks. And then we put the sketchboard on the corner adjacent to the cathedral. Talk about chutzpah. Uh-huh. And we proceeded to preach the gospel to all of these Catholic people who are mourning and, and walking by us. I tell that story as if to say, we need to be bold, but uh-huh. we need to be wise and sensitive and winsome and gracious I didn't too. know where that example was yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's where it was going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would be an example of how we failed uh-huh. to strike the balance of grace and truth. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's every time I say that, I get embarrassed, but that's <laughs> what it looks like yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Since you started ministry, what's something you've come to value the most about local church ministry? people, relationships. Last week, I was at College Church, where I served for eight years, at a preaching conference. I was only in the sessions eight, uh, half the time, maybe, um, <laughs> because I would get up to get a cup of coffee and run into someone. How are you doing? How are your children? And there is this inexplicable connection you have with the body of Christ when you serve as a shepherd. I'm, I'm driving up here for this interview, and I happen to notice in Wheaton, this mom pushing her son in a wheelchair, and I recognize them as a family from the church. He's now about 14. I remember him from when he was six. And I looked at him, and I can't explain what happened, but something occurred in my heart, this compassion, this love, this affection, and I found myself praying for this young man and who's severely disabled. That is, I think, the, the dynamic and the, the special bond that exists when you serve a local church as a pastor. That seems like it would be overwhelming. So there, there's the part in Scripture where it's Jesus looks out and he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And I suppose that's a lot of the way 
uh, pastors of a local church might feel. Not necessarily in a derogatory sense, but just that responsibility and that compassion and love. How do you keep that in your heart without it like sort of crippling you? I don't know how to say it, but does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, do you know makes, what I'm saying? It makes perfect sense, yeah. yeah. We must remember as pastors, I am not the Christ. I must decrease, he must increase. And I am incapable, despite my best efforts, to meet the needs of every person. And it's a constant reminder. It's easy to feel inadequate as a pastor because your people have so many needs. And some most days you're only scratching the surface. But that's the reality of ministry. And we, we lift people up to God and we ask God to do in their lives what we are incapable of doing. I led a small group in uh, the last church I was in, and I found myself having to set boundaries. And it's painful. It's really painful to have to set those boundaries and think in that way, uh, because it's not always easy to say that to the other person, to say, like, you know, I can't give you rides all the time or whatever it is. Practically, how do you work through that? Being close to your people will establish relational currency. They know you love them. They know you're there for them uh, when you can be. So that in those moments when you are unable to be and you drop the ball, they don't question your motives. So seizing every opportunity. And, and by the way, that often that takes the shape of very little things. To take out a thank you card and a pen, thinking of you, praying for you, write down a verse of scripture. Indescribably valuable. Yeah. It's easy for me personally to forget the, those little things. I think that they don't matter. I don't know why I just blow them off a lot. And uh, I, I think you're right. I think I received a card the other day, which is random. You don't get cards anymore. Like it was a card for nothing in particular. It was just like, here's a card. And it, it literally made my day and made me feel infinitely more close to that person in a way that's hard to really articulate why even. We're driven by the tyranny of the urgent yeah. today, especially yeah. as American evangelicals. We go to leadership conferences and we have our objectives and plans of action. That's right. fine, you know, yeah. Yeah. but we're, we're way over on the Martha scale instead of Mary. We're, yeah. we're, we're not uh, engaging heartfelt worship as much as we are engaging busy work. I think of it in terms of the trellis and the vine. You need a trellis to, to hold up the, the organic life of a vine, but the Trellis is, is just a means, it's not an end. In our broken world, it can be hard to see how Jesus is at work making all things new. That's why every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear through redemptive storytelling and global reporting. Whether it's a pastor in Brazil who uses CT in Portuguese to lead his ministry, or a young believer who wants to think biblically about our culture, CT comes alongside believers to illuminate what it looks like to follow Jesus in today's world. Jesus is transforming his world. CT is equipping his church. Give a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com slash equip. What, is your, what does your local church look like in terms of how you balance that, uh, the urgent need, aspect of it because i know a lot of churches like they have causes they have things within the community that are that are urgent needs and then um you have the sort of ongoing the ongoing stuff that a local churches all need to do and that really should be maybe the primary focus like how do you balance those two things in your church yeah it's a work in progress yeah and we're very much having this conversation right now huh. and uh i think 
part of the opportunity is to look at every program very critically and ask, does this truly contribute to the mission of our church? And if not, you got to put the axe to it. Do you have a distinction between sort of church instigated in, in my old church? They would say, if you want, if you think we need this, just start it and do it. Yep. Do you, do you have that approach? You're or? putting your finger on it, Richard. That's exactly the discussion we're having right now. I'm a big proponent of that. Now, there needs to be oversight. The elders need to be in, uh, aware of what's happening. But, hey, we believe in the priesthood of believers. All of our people are gifted and called to ministry. And uh, our opportunity as leaders is to provide the resources and the encouragement and the space in which people can work that out. So, yes, let's see as much innovation here as we possibly can. I want to talk about the Reformation. Uh, we're getting close to the, what, 500th year? When is the 500th year anniversary? I should know this. Well, Luther nailed his theses in 1517. So, you know, so we're, we're kind of there. About a year out. Yep. Okay, yeah, a year out. That's right. <laughs> yep. Math is, I'm, I'm like, that's the most basic math. I know, and I I'm still with don't you. Know Theologians it. are never good mathematicians. Right. That's a given. Yeah. I know that the year should end in a seven. I should know that at least. <laughs> what does the Reformation mean to you personally? Yeah, I understand the Reformation to be a commitment toward renewal, gospel renewal. I mean, we look at what happened in the ministries of Martin Luther and, and uh, Martin Bootser and Zwingli and Calvin and all these individuals, and we see them wanting to renew the church, which at, in their day had become full of superstition and uh, clerical abuses and um, by the way, it wasn't just Luther and so-called Protestants pursuing that, but there was a very robust Catholic movement of renewal happening as well. Gasparo Cantarini, and, and this is the Italian story, is very interesting there. So uh, if I were to step back and look at the overall Reformation, that's what I would call it, is uh, a return to Scripture as the supreme authority for Christian faith and practice, and an understanding of justification that recognizes it is divine initiative and it is God's uh, attribution of Christ's righteousness that is the, the reason for our acceptance. And uh, all of that was promoted and enacted uh, as a, a desire and, and attempt at renewal. One question I think a lot of us have is what keeps us from doing that again? Why does the why does the church not need a renewal now versus when it did then? What's sort of the moment that we go, okay, this is out of hand. We got to split. Yeah. Well, we do need, and in fact, the the reformers themselves were aware of that. the 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 phrase in Latin that we sometimes use is "sempre reformanda," always reforming. And so in every generation, we need to look at what we're doing against the backdrop of Scripture and be open to reform. It needs to be a constant discipline that guides us. Do you see something now we need to reform from, particularly? Well, I think consumerism is a problem in American evangelicalism. I think the tyranny of the urgent, as I mentioned I've benefited from uh, Jonathan Edwards' exhortation from his resolutions, where he says, look at the present moment from the vantage point of the grave, and uh, let that provide you with perspective on what matters the most. So, you know, I think this busyness and uh, this failure to 
wait upon the Lord uh, is is another liability that needs to be addressed. You think the church as a whole should repent of its busyness? I think all of us as individuals need to look honestly at our lives. And now I'm speaking uh, from my own heart right. and the recognition that uh, I'm guilty of this. Yeah. You know. So I think there are certain norms in American culture that would lead us away from the Christ-centered vision to which we're called. And, and those seem to be a couple of prominent ones. There's a lot of people that seem to want to... I don't know if it's the opposite of reform the church, but unite the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so they believe that we should uh, act more as if the Catholic church and the Protestant church are actually one church. Mm-hmm. What's wrong with that? So this is uh, an important question. Uh, do we recognize in the Roman Catholic church an orthodox Christian body, lowercase o? Uh, is it genuinely Christian? Evangelicals are going to answer that question differently. Uh, I'm of the opinion that it is fundamentally Christian. It's a Christian tradition on the basis of the early creeds, Apostles Nicene, Chalcedonian Creed. So that when we talk about our Catholic friends, we're talking about members of the Christian tradition, which is not true of, say, Mormons and Jehovah Witness. Um, however, it's also important to uh, to view Roman Catholicism through the lens of the Reformation and recognize that what they teach on the gospel, the way in which an individual secures divine acceptance, is different from what we understand the gospel to be. And that has implications. So there are certain things that I feel comfortable doing uh, among Catholics in Naperville along the line of social awareness, sanctity of life. Uh, However, there are other things with which I would be uncomfortable, uh, particularly uh, evangelism and worship. And of course, you know, Protestants are not welcome to the Mass to receive the Eucharist. Um, we're not in communion in that sense. Kind of so not up to us. It's, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, this is, this is the reality from both perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and that's part of what I mean when, when I say grace and truth. Let's let us manifest the the kindness and the, the, the charity of Christ and let us be honest about our areas of disagreement. What was your first experience in ministry? My first experience would have been an internship that I did in West Palm Beach, Florida, after my first year at Moody. And it was aimed at evangelism, equipping the uh, singles group, which was enormous, it was 200 people. It was one of these mega churches there uh, for evangelism, mm-hmm. and it was great. I loved it. So that, in a sense, established a trajectory for me uh, toward evangelism, which has continued to mark my life and service ever since. Evangelism, in particular, in particular, yeah. you know. So college church evangelism pastor. I was yeah. at the Billy Graham Center for three years uh, doing that work. And now it is, in a sense, the, the emphasis I naturally strike yeah. in pastoral ministry. Yeah, how so? Well, as I look at our community, I see people who look so put together on the outside, but I know their hearts are aching, and I'm looking at our church wondering, what can we do to build bridges? Right. How can our children's ministry be a place where children from the community are welcome and they're loved and they're invested in, and then we get parents. You know, there's just a, a number of opportunities we have that heretofore we have not really pursued. 
And so it's very easy for me to see those open doors and to invest time and energy in helping us to get after them. The way you described your city it resonates with me because it's the way I feel when I'm here, like in the sort of Midwest suburbs, coming from Louisville, coming from Alabama. There is a very distinct difference, I feel, and this may be unfair, so tell me if, if it is, but I feel there's a very distinct difference in terms of like how anxious people are to look put together, to appear as if everything's fine. This isn't something that I do well. I have other flaws, but how do you handle that culture in a congregation that's supposed to be sharing your life with one another? You know, this. you're right in your assessment. Uh, it, it doesn't seem particularly pronounced to me, however, coming from Long Island, New York, right. you know, where there in the Italian community, at least, we speak of la bella figura, the beautiful face. Huh. That's what matters, your yeah. public image. Wow. And what you do to project that is of the utmost importance. So this is quite normal. This is actually tame. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, what do I do? I need to go out of my way to be authentic. Now, you'll appreciate this, I think, Richard. You know, here in, in this Wheaton area, there is a rich legacy of evangelical leadership. And there's a certain culture, style, ethos that goes with that. It's very straight-laced, very cerebral. And so for me, uh, I can't be sucked into that. I'm tempted to, and I often am. But I need to remind myself of who I am and be authentic. So I wear three rings. One of them is my wedding band, reminds me to serve my wife. The other is a cross I got when I graduated seminary. And then I wear my pinky ring. A lot of these uh, in Long Island among men, not so much here in Wheaton. This is actually a reminder for me to remember who I am. I'm a paisano from New York <laughs> who's, who's been saved by God's grace. Uh -huh. And don't try to be someone that I'm not. I think we give people a wonderful gift when we are able to be comfortable in our skin and convey that sort of authenticity. What's your biggest struggle that you've had since you started the ministry? Yeah, I want to do too much at once, mm. and I see all the opportunities, and I need to remind myself of my limited resources of time and energy. And I have a wonderful associate pastor who reminds me of that. And so, um, but I, I continue to to struggle with the desire to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah, and realize, no, that's going to be part of the five year plan, not the next six months. Have you tried to do? Too many things or too much at once, and then and then is there a specific time where those things have failed and you've kind of had to wake up to that? Thankfully, I've come to recognize the foolishness of my planning before it went public, <laughs> uh -huh. so we haven't had any you know of those particularly. <laughs> yeah, but there there was certainly potential. How does your ministry affect your family? So I should say this. I'm glad you asked that. My wife is my my biggest ministry asset. Met her at Moody. She, she's smarter than I am. She's an outstanding biblical exegete. A lot of pastor's wives play the piano. My wife does biblical exegesis. She's marvelous. <laughs> uh -huh. And she has the gift of hospitality. So every Sunday after church, virtually we have a family over and we're spending hours together at the table enjoying her food. And she's Italian too. So, you know, it's mm -hmm. a marvelous spread. Mm -hmm. And um, it's ministry together with Angela that is really my greatest joy. And the reason why I'm able to do what I do is because of her wisdom and support. Do you have children? I do. Five children. Yeah. How about them? Yeah. So uh, my three oldest, Luke, Philip, Simeon, all play brass instruments. So they have 
played. My oldest plays regularly at the church. Uh, other ones sing in the choir, very musical. I'm not musical. I play the kazoo, uh, but they are. Do you really play the kazoo? Uh, occasionally, yeah, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, I've got to contribute somehow. And then, uh, so they're plugged in in that way. Eliza's five, our little girl, and sh- she's a firecracker. And then uh, Malachi is one and a half. So he smiles at people. Uh-huh. He says hi and he waves. It goes that's a long his way. Ministry. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. right. That's awesome. How has ministry changed you? Ministry has shown me my deficiencies, my weakness. It's a constant reminder that I don't bring to the table the the needed assets to serve, but I need to constantly seek the Lord for his enablement. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think it's made me a better Christian in that I am, as a result of ministry, constantly confronted with that need. It's wonderfully humbling. And so I think it's because of that recognition that I'm able to uh, not only serve, but also maintain a Christian walk that has some a modicum of, of, uh, of integrity. You don't feel a temptation to put that public face on because, more so because you're in, in the ministry? I do. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's always there. So when I'm in, in a place like Wheaton or now Naperville, I wave to everyone because I'm always afraid that I'm going to you know, unwittingly uh, snub somebody that mm, I know. Yeah. And then I, I, people off, will often look at me like, who's this freak uh, <laughs> waving at me? You uh-huh. know? So the point of that is you, you understand that you're always on. Say your church decides. I always try to ask this question in a unique way every time, and it's impossible. You built a time machine, you get into it, you go back in time, you talk to yourself mm-hmm. from the past. What do you tell him? I say, Chris, relax. Mm-hmm. You need to not be so driven. In my case, I was really a bonehead throughout my first half of my life, at least. And then I came to Christ in the sense that I never read hardly. You know, I I wasn't at all reflective. And then when I came to Christ, the Lord gave me this desire to study and learn and grow. So that's what drove me through my college and uh, seminary and right through the PhD. And it's been great. It's a privilege. But I'm afraid I've been rather one-dimensional through much of that. And so if I I were able to go back in time, I would say, look, relax. Take a hobby. Find a hobby. Enjoy life. Enjoy some recreation. And don't be as driven as you are. Talk about what you mean by one-dimensional. What does one-dimensional Chris Costaldo look like? Oh, you, I wish my wife were here. <laughs> she would have a far better answer than I. Uh-huh. It means you're always having to read. Yeah. And it's delayed gratification. Uh, uh, applying yourself right now in some sort of preparation or work so that you can be excellent. Excellence is great. We, you know, I think we honor God by pursuing it. But there does come a point where you're unbalanced. And if I were honest, I think that for much of my, those years of formation, uh, that's where I lived in that unhealthy balance. So I would say, look, it's ultimately not by might nor by power. It's not your doing. It's by the spirit of God that you will fulfill your calling. And so take it easy and trust that God's going to have his way through you. What's your hope for like future, Chris, particularly as it relates to your ministry? I think there's a real opportunity at the Catholic-Protestant intersection to bring light where there's 
often heat. Hmm. And for me, it's a pastoral ministry. There's so many families that are divided and full of conflict between Catholics and Protestants. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want to provide the instruction and encouragement that will enable them to have the conversation in a way that honors Christ. And uh, I'm, I'm constantly contacted by people via email or by phone who, who need help. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be able to offer that. So that is, that is something I would like to uh, continue to address. And then secondly, this calling at New Covenant Church is, uh, I shouldn't say secondly, there's no particular order here, but the, the, to see this church shine for Christ in Naperville and to do that in collaboration with other churches, we're now praying that that is something we would realize more and more. What do you tell people when they email you and say, I'm in a family that's half Catholic or I'm a Protestant in a Catholic family and we have a lot of conflict. And what's the advice that you give or you would give someone listening now who's dealing with that sort of heartache and that uncomfortable, awkward, often heated discussion that takes place? You don't have to win the argument. I, I think that there is this underlying assumption that for us to be faithful Protestants or faithful Christians, mm -hmm. We need to forcefully argue against the teaching of Rome, uh, the Catholic Church, to demonstrate the facticity of the gospel. And I would say it's the Spirit of God who works in someone's heart. And your job is to love that person and to communicate biblical truth uh, in ways that are honest and ways that are respectful. And so don't uh, allow yourself to be duped into thinking that it's your apologetic prowess that's going to bring that person to Christ. Uh, because it's not, it's going to be your authentic love. You know, Paul said, the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, good conscience, sincere faith. And uh, that's what I would want to emphasize. You've been listening to The Calling. Chris Castaldo is a lead pastor of New Covenant Church in Naperville, Illinois, and author most recently of The Unfinished Reformation, What Unites and Divides Catholics and Protestants After 500 Years. You can follow him on Twitter at Chris Castaldo. Remember to rate and review the show on iTunes, because that's pretty much the main thing podcast rankings are based on these days. Calling is produced by Cray Allred, theme music by Lee Rosevere, used under Creative Commons 4.0. Rich will be back next week. Thank you for listening. This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast. Two clergy of different traditions, Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman, discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.